Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexander Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. But in this podcast, we're not going to be talking about horse training. Instead, the focus is on what horse people can do to make a difference in the climate change crisis. Last week, I began a conversation with Sarah Nichols. Sarah lives in Australia. When I wrote a post for my Click That Teaches Facebook group saying that I was going to be giving stay-at-home virtual clinics, Sarah emailed me to ask if I would do a clinic for Australians. And the answer I gave her in my email was, well, maybe I'm not sure I'd have to think about it. But in the meantime, would she like to do a Horses for Future podcast with me? I know that wasn't the answer she was expecting, but in her email, Sarah mentioned her day job. She's a social scientist in the environmental field, and her work focuses on biodiversity and behavior change. That perked my ears forward. And in the next line, when she talked about permaculture design, I knew we needed to meet via the internet. Last week, we began a two-part conversation with Sarah. We ended with Sarah describing the fires that hit Australia last year. Climate change was no longer an abstract concept for Australians. They lived through the horror of what climate change means. So I asked the question that is central to these podcasts. What can horse people do to make a difference? We'll pick up again with that question. What can any of us do? Yeah. Big question. It is a big question. And I want to preface it by saying training animals in behavior change is so much easier than behavior yes. change in humans. Yes. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I know when I emailed you, I, talked about having that epiphany watching um dr susan friedman present um which by the way reminds me that to me this is talking to you alex is a giant easter egg to hark back <laughs> to the conversation that you had with susan um so a giant easter egg um yeah um you know sitting at susan's talk that she gave at melbourne zoo last year and just realizing that actually my day job and my horse training were just this this parallel and actually what I was doing in both was all about shifting behavior and behavior change. And um, it, it was such an epiphany and I, I, I couldn't understand how I, this did not occur to me beforehand. It just was like, there's a total der moment. So firstly, changing the behavior of animals is much easier than changing the behavior of people. Yes. And to that end, I think, you know, in a way, behavior change, changing our behavior as humans to have a, a less impact, you know, less of an impact on, on climate change and the world around us. In a way it's easy, but in a way it's very hard because we all have these habits and these things that we just go about doing and it's our normal. And you've talked about with some other people as well, that COVID is a great time right now. You know, we've sort of had this huge disruption. So it's a great time to, to impact behavior change. And I think my, my suggestion on this and, and it probably hasn't wavered too much throughout my career, is people need to pick one thing. Just start with one thing. If you're going to train an animal, you know, or train your horse, you might 
I think you call it grown-ups, Alex, you know, when yes. a horse dances, they yeah. do politely, right? Yes. So you might pick that and you might focus on training that one thing with that animal. And maybe, and then maybe as that starts to come together, you might work on head down as well, or you might work on targeting, but you, you sort of start somewhere. And I think people have to start somewhere. It can be so overwhelming because there's so much that we can do and would like to do and should do. And we can get so overwhelmed that we do nothing. And that is really problematic in itself. Yes. So I think, you know, it's as much picking something. And yes, we're horse people, but we're also people people. <laughs> you know, we exist in this society, in this yes. world. And so there are things you can do because you're a horse person and there are things you can just do because you're a person. And when you pick one thing and, and, and kind of research it and understand why you're doing it and kind of get a bit passionate about that thing, and, and work on that and sort of get that embedded into your change in habit and routine, when that starts to embed, then you can pick another thing. And, and as a result of getting a bit upskilled on that first thing, you'll start to think about other things and you'll find another. So for instance, it might be, you know, we, we are all using toilet paper, right? So it might be, find out where your toilet paper comes from. Is you, how sustainable and ethical is the toilet paper that you use? Can you get a better one? Why would you want to get a better one? And how do you get the better one? So maybe it's as simple or as difficult for some people <laughs> as changing the loo paper that you use. And you might have to try a few types, right? Because not all recycled toilet paper is made equally. You know, some is a bit rougher and some is a bit softer. So maybe it's, you know, toilet paper. I think, you know, uh, or maybe it is taking your reusable coffee cup to yep. the cafe to get your coffee, you know, and making a point of it, make, get passionate about that one thing and get good at it. And I have to say, what I've been thinking about recently is whenever we embark on a new thing, it often gets harder and uglier before it gets better. So for anyone who comes new into positive reinforcement or clicker training, it can often get a bit uglier and harder yes, before yes. it starts to get better, right? And the same with behaviour. You know, if you start to get passionate about your reusable coffee cup and taking it, you are likely to forget that cup sometimes and get quite cranky at yourself for forgetting that cup and then have to miss out on your coffee or have to figure out, oh, well, maybe I have to have my coffee, you know, in the cafe, probably not possible with COVID just now, or maybe it's the toilet paper and you buy one and you go, oh my, this is like sandpaper on my backside. I can't, <laughs> you know, but that's just that one brand. It's not the whole, you know, you have to kind of try, be like in yes. training. So I think picking one thing in the horse space specifically, same applies, like pick something to try and something to get better at. And I really think a big thing that we should all be doing is making our purchasing count. Like we all buy stuff. Yes. We all acquire stuff. So starting to be mindful of what we buy and research that those items, and maybe again, you can't research them all at once, but find something and buy it more ethically than you bought it before. And just make that a habit and find somewhere that can supply you that thing. In horse gear, there isn't a lot so far that I'm seeing talk about the ethics of its manufacture. But what you can do is buy quality things that will last yes. so that you're not having to then buy another one in two months' time or, you know, six months' time or whatever. And, 
And once you start with one thing, it's really easy to progress to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. So the other day I just ordered uh, some new tracksuit pants. It's become my new uniform for going to work is tracksuit pants. <laughs> uh, no office for me, a home office for me. Um, so I did a bunch of research to find some ethical tracksuit pants. You know, this is just one item, but okay, I could go and buy cheap off the rack tracksuit pants that are imported from another country. So there's a carbon footprint of them being imported from cotton that's grown not ethically from God knows where and put chemicals out into the environment. So every purchasing choice that we make has a massive impact that we often don't see. Yes. So I think starting to bring that into our consciousness of what we do purchase and the impact that that has and then reducing our impact that way is really powerful. A bit like growing your own vegetables at home. You know, that is then understanding the supply chain of your vegetables and where that comes from. And suddenly you realise how much maybe water vegetables take to grow and how much effort they take to grow. And you start to look at vegetables sold at the supermarket and you think, how are they so cheap? Like, I know how much effort it takes to grow a broccoli. Like, <laughs> how is this so cheap, you know? Uh, so I think just, yeah, be, for me, like that purchasing, the purchasing power that you have as an individual is huge and it can be as simple too as asking questions. So maybe that you need to buy or maybe you want to make a target stick. So you go to the hardware and you say, okay, I'm looking to make this target stick. What's a target stick? Okay, it's this thing I use in training my animal. It's, yeah, okay, they look at you a bit like you're crazy, but whatever. And you say, so I need some timber. I need a, a bit of a dowel for some timber maybe. Yes. So, okay, where did that timber come from? Where was, it, where, was it, where was it harvested and what kind of wood is it? And where was it made? Uh, you know, what factory produced it? Oh, it got imported from this other country. Do I agree with that? Do I not? You know, what are the implications of that? And even asking the questions of the suppliers starts to put it into the suppliers' minds as well that the public interest is there about having sustainable goods. So even if you can't get the perfect sustainable good, we probably can't, but right. asking the questions and pursuing what you can. So, you know, when we use things for, say, concept training or uh, for even targeting or, uh, you know, the, the, fun, the fun equipment that we use in positive reinforcement training <laughs> that isn't the standard stuff you buy at a tax right. store, even trying to source that so it's quality stuff, it's quality goods, it, you know, and understanding that it's going to last. Because we know horses don't really go gently on things sometimes. No. <laughs> so to get the cheap option isn't necessarily, you know, it could be broken in five days. Uh, so I yes. think for me, that's, yeah, that's a huge one. It's just, at, but pick a thing. Like it can be overwhelming. So just pick one object that you're buying. Just one and understand that. It doesn't have to be everything. Just pick something. And when you get that, then maybe you pick another and just, and, and go that way. And, and in doing that, you start to open up this sort of world, again, a bit like training, where you start yeah. with one thing and you build your repertoire and you end up with all of these tools or behaviours in your toolbox. It's a bit like that with this. You start to build your repertoire and, and understanding and, and then, you know, you get to the point where you realise, oh, actually, you know, my vote counts you know I should vote and oh what does well hang on I believe in taking my reusable coffee cup to get a coffee but what does my local politicians believe what do they do do they take the and then you start to see the photos of the local politicians and you notice if they have their reusable coffee cup or not yeah. or yeah. they have a disposable one you know so it's sort of, it's just it's just you have to start somewhere and 
have to be gentle on ourselves because it's it can be really easy to be overwhelmed and get really negative and just say it's all too hard and I just won't do anything and bury our heads in the sand. Right. I can't um, do anything. It won't make a difference. What does my one little reusable coffee cup matter when, you know, in the yeah. vast sea of disposable waste and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's a lovely expression in the training. The longer you stay with an exercise, the more good things you see that it gives you. So, you, you know, you start with you know, something like having a horse standing in stillness next to you and you focus in on that. And, and it's sort of like as that grows, other things come and glom onto it, and, which is yes. what you're describing. And I'm thinking of an individual in our area who is um, an environmental specialist in plastics. And she was one of the people who's really pushing for eliminating the use of plastic bags, the reusable um, single use, yeah. The single use, thank you. The single use plastic bags getting that banned from New York. March 1st, the ban went in, and March 15th, it got lifted because of the coronavirus. You know, that didn't last long. But, yeah. you know, it was the low hanging fruit. So there we, we could get people thinking about all of the, their use of plastic by focusing in on the single-use plastic bag, or you could take your reusable bag. And then when you start really looking at plastics and, oh, and, and studying yeah. that, it's just <laughs> talk about, and that can become a very depressing uh, deep well that you go down. But I can, even in the age of corona, I'm, I can still take my reusable bags to the grocery store. I have to pack my own groceries. Fair enough. I'd rather do it anyway, but I can still yep. do that. I can take my reusable water bottle instead of drinking water from the water bottles and, and also consuming all the microplastics that are in the bottled water. That's another. So, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that is brilliant, brilliant advice. And as you say, we're just, we're, you know, we're, yes, we're horse people, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is specific to having horses. We, we can yep. look at how we're man. For those of us who have horses on our own property, we can absolutely be looking at how we are managing the land because we want, absolutely. That, we want that carbon sequestration. You know, we want the microbiome. We want to encourage all of that. So that's that is something that we can make a difference. We want the biodiversity. So what are we doing in terms of the hedgerows and the, those parts of, the, of, of our property where we're not keeping the horses? How do we encourage biodiversity? Yeah. You know, I have and a, I have to tell you, Alex, we, we don't have hedgerows here in Australia either. They're a, they're a novelty you know, when I've been to huh. the UK, which I have been a few times, I get really excited when I see hedgerows. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Them. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I find yeah. them enchanting. We, yeah. They're amazing. Although they're driving down those very narrow laneways is quite terrifying sometimes. Yes. yes. Um, but, but, you know, we, you know, we've done a lot here because we, my other half and I both have an environmental background you know a part of us having this property was around that and I have to tell you because we've had two amazing biodiversity discoveries I'm so excited to tell you because I think you'll be interested even though you won't know the species I'm talking about <laughs> but um, 
and it's a result of having horses. So this is an interesting intersection here. We've had a horse with a tendon injury uh, probably for about eight weeks now. And so he has to be yarded and then um, because we're very mindful, well, I know this horse very well and he does not take to yarding very kindly. So what we're doing is twice a day we take him out for hand grazing or supervised grazing. I'm also aware that I want grass to keep moving through his system as well yes. um, during this time. But, you know, we can't let him off in a paddock to buck and fart and carry on. So we, this is winter here for us. So we are now outside extraordinarily more than we would be um, otherwise because we take Fernando out grazing. And um, so we had two amazing discoveries within a week as a result of being outside with him. So we were uh, in a paddock sort of lower in the landscape and I was weeding uh, St. John's wort is a weed that we have here. So he was grazing and I was weeding and I saw my first legless lizard. We have these animals here, they're legless lizards. And I have never, ever, ever seen one before, but I pulled up this St. John's wort and here curled up and I'm looking and I, it was raining as well and I've got gloves on and I'm looking at this thing going, my brain is compute, you know, it's, it's a, it's a worm. It's not a worm. It's, it, it looks like a, it's bigger than a worm. Kind of looks like a baby snake. How small do snakes get? I don't think they can be that small. I know we have legless lizards. I think it might be a legless lizard. And this poor thing that was sort of snoozy. Oh, oh, oh this is a bit dangerous as a human. And by the time I got a photo, it was half out of the, <laughs> the picture. Thankfully, working in biodiversity, I know enough people that could help me identify it. So this is amazingly exciting to find that we have legless lizards living on our property yes. as a result of, you know, and we've been, we have um, some remnant vegetation. So that's uh, trees that are, have been here since pre-colonisation. And we have fenced the animals off from them. They were always grazed underneath. We have fenced off the remnant vegetation have been planting trees and we fenced them off. We're trying to rest and rotate the, the paddocks. And so this legless lizard was in one of the paddocks that has been rested for maybe nine months and at the base of it. So it just showed, you know, well, look what the biodiversity, you know, is happy when we manage the property well. And then I, uh, six days later, I was at the top of the different place on the property, top of the hill with the same horse, supervised grazing. And I've taken up meditating since COVID, which is, it's a lovely result. It's another Easter egg of COVID for me. And I sat down on my usual log to meditate and I looked up and I saw um, what looked like a mouse, but I knew it wasn't. It go up this tree. And I thought, hang on a minute, that's an antichinus. So I got up and I adjusted myself around a bit and this little thing poked its head out at me and went, oh, human. <gasps> and off it scuttled. And we set up a fauna camera, which are these motion activated cameras and yeah. you put an attractant that anyway so we set up one and yesterday ben checked it and we have this beautiful photo of this what is a yellow-footed antichinus it's a it's a really tiny little uh, marsupial a bit bigger than a mouse and we are like we have the bite of <laughs> so excited <laughs> that we have these you know we have some kangaroos that live um in some of the the grass that we don't we, we have some grass that the horses don't use we leave that for the kangaroos and we know have wombats and um so we fence off the wombat holes from the horses because those two things don't mix very well and we have a friendly echidna that visits us over summer and it's come up to our back door before and it's so nice we've been here four and a half years and start to see yeah. even in that short time like what you can do for the biodiversity and the amount of birds we're keeping a bird list of what we what we see here and uh, yeah it's it's and and that is reinforcing you know like this is all so positively reinforcing yes. for us to keep going and doing more um it's really cool so i'm sorry to interrupt but i had to tell you about our exciting biodiversity that, that's um, not interrupting. recently 
Yeah, that's glorious. That is yeah. glorious. Yeah, and, and yeah. it just shows you because, you know, 30 acres, 40 acres, that's, that's not a huge parcel. It's not beyond the means of or needs of many uh, people who have horses. And yet, you know, look at what just being a good steward of those acres is producing. No, yeah. really important. Yeah. And, really it would, and if it wasn't for the horse, for the injured horse, we wouldn't have seen, yes. you know, and us managing that horse, you know. So there's the intersection. And I, you know, we do a gratitude practice daily. That's something we've started since COVID too. I talk about what we're grateful for each day to each other. And I said to Ben one day, I said, I'm really grateful Fernando injured his tendon. And Ben looked at me like, you are crazy, crazy. lady. <laughs> and I said, you know, because we we wouldn't be outside so much um, and we wouldn't be watching the the birds and we wouldn't have seen the legless lizard and we wouldn't have seen the antichinus if we weren't outside with the horse and interspersed with that i'm doing training with the horse so the training with the horse has increased as well because he needs that mental stimulation so the the intersection of these things you know it, it it's again back to permaculture where it's whole systems thinking you know it's all connected everything yeah. is connected even the coronavirus is connected you know what are those easter eggs those things that where we can be say actually uh in many ways this is a good thing so you talked earlier about it's so much harder to change human behavior versus the behavior of the horses but what you know behavior is behavior uh, so that's what susan friedman would be saying that it shouldn't be any different because uh, you know, gravity holds horses to the planet. It holds people to the planet. The laws of learning apply whether you're a horse or a human. And with the horses, we know that we want to be process-oriented, not goal-driven. And so what is it that this individual is showing me he needs to work on? What are some of the missing components? What are some of the skills that I need to build for this horse that will allow him to walk with me up to the top pasture without ripping the lead out of my arm and go bolting off, destroying his tendons. And with people, is it that we're looking at behavior from, I would say, the wrong way around? So one of the things that is being stressed right now, particularly in New York State, is how important it is to wear masks, that the masks are, are making a big difference, I think, in terms of stopping the spread of the coronavirus. And so we went from the worst uh, infection rate in the country back in March. We were in really dire shape. Mm -hmm. So now we have the best. And we have the best because we changed our behavior. Yeah. And, and so we've seen that behavior can change and it can change radically and it can change fast which is very encouraging. And we need that. We absolutely need that. Yeah. We need it for the coronavirus. Uh, and right now we, we're sort of, we're living in two worlds. We're living <clears throat> in a world where uh, the wearing of masks is being uh, poo-pooed and it's become a political issue and, and uh, it's not being encouraged. And then you're in places like New York State where we're really data-driven and we, the model is proven to, to work. So we can change behavior. We can change our own behavior. 
we can see that communities can change their behavior. And I think that's incredibly encouraging because if we're going to make a difference and an impact in climate change, we need to change behavior. And starting with something simple, starting with one yeah. thing, that's what we would do with yeah. the horses. We would start with one thing. Yeah. So starting yeah. with one thing in our own life, what could we do? What could we pick? Something achievable. What could we pick? Yeah. And then, and it doesn't have to be the same thing for yeah, everybody. Exactly. It's just, yeah. as I look around, what could I choose that would be a little shift in my, my life? Maybe it is taking that, remembering to take the reusable bag to the grocery store instead of using the single-use plastic. You know, what is it that I could pick that would create uh, that ripple effect and that change? I know yeah. that, you know, I planted the vegetable garden this year and I don't generally buy grocery store lettuce. Every now and then I will think, you know, in the middle of winter, oh, a salad would be really nice. But the lettuce <laughs> all comes in plastic containers. And when you get it, it's uh, not really very nice. And, and so now that I've had the, these fresh greens from the, from the garden every night, it reminds me of, I'm not going to buy greens from the grocery store, even in the middle of winter when I have none, because there's no point. So yeah. I will grow my own. Yeah. Or, or I'll figure yeah. out this winter how to grow microgreens, you know, yeah. to expand that. So that takes you down various rabbit holes. So I think it's, it's wonderful advice. And it is a way in which we can make a difference. And if we all pick something, and I love the idea of pick yeah. something and become, and really study it. So, yeah. you know, learn a little bit about plastics and why, why switching to a reusable bag versus all of those single-use plastics. What is the effect of plastic on the environment? And as we all become sort of little micro experts in micro areas, then that expertise will ripple around the planet because we have the internet and we are so connected. And we have seen how the virus can spread around the planet. So why shouldn't we spread ideas that are worth spreading around the planet? Yeah. And that's really totally. what, that's what this is about. It's what the podcasts are about is let's, let's create viral spreads of things that are good to spread around the planet. Yeah. yeah. Really and neat. it works. Yeah, it, it totally works. You know, I, early in my career, um, I worked on a plastic bag free campaign. So I really relate to the story about the, the, the plastic, we use plastic bags. And I was working for a, a local government area council and we had four coastal villages and we were working to make them plastic bag free. This is fairly early in the days of plastic bag free towns in Australia. So what would we be talking? Sort of the, um, like maybe 2003 or 2004. So it was a while ago. Okay. And I got so passionate about single-use plastic bags at this time that my colleagues in the office called me the plastic bag police <laughs> because any colleagues, and, you know, I was in my, like, early to mid-20s, so I was, you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of an upstart going on there. And so when I saw any colleagues, you know, coming back with a single-use plastic bag from my team in the office, I would ride them about that. I'm not saying that's the best approach, but, you know, look, right, that's what right, happened. Right. But you know what? 
And so I, I got right into this. And, you know, I reckon it was maybe five or ten years later that my best friend said, started talking to me about her own sort of choices around plastic bags and beyond. And this had all come from, she was never, this is not her area of study or passion or anything, but because I had talked about it and been sort of banging on about it so much for so long and I was passionate about it, here she is five to 10 years later and she was more passionate than I was. Like she was right into it. And I remember hanging out the phone kind of like, wow, like I, I've really inspired you, you know, like you've yeah. taken this on board and you've run with this. And so I think when you become that micro expert in something, and it doesn't have to be your day job to do that. And it's not about uh, Bible bashing people with it, so to speak, or being preachy about it. It's about setting that example and showing, you know, showing what that does for you and how good that makes you feel when you grow your lettuce, you know, and the taste of homegrown produce versus store-bought is just, it's incomparable. And then you inspire someone else who goes, oh, maybe I should grow lettuce. Lettuce can't be too hard to grow. Maybe I'll do that. Oh yeah, I've got a reused coffee cup. I should start taking that. Oh, you know, I really, you know, I admire that this person's doing it. So it's amazing what that ripple effect, you know, that ripple effect can do and that spreading of that positive, vibe you know of what you can do with change it's amazing and learning you know how to talk about these things without bashing people over the head with it and then making them feel guilty and that's a real skill because if you make people feel guilty oh look at that you used a single-use plastic bag oh you couldn't take your own reusable bag to the grocery store, could you? Do you know what that does to the environment? It's like, here's flat clothes. They don't want to hear it. And, they do, and, people, and, and people don't want to feel guilty. Because feeling right. guilty yeah. makes you, it, it, it makes you dig your heels in. And Absolutely. it gets people entrenched. So, yep. What are some strategies for avoiding the that phase? Do is it an, is it an inevitable phase, or like for, for, for example, when when yeah. I start when I started exploring clicker training, one of the things I knew right away was this. I mean, you just didn't want to keep it to yourself. You wanted to share it. Yeah, it's not something that you want to just. Ooh, I'm not going to tell you my secrets. You know, why, you're, you're, you're looking at my horse going, that's really cool. How did you teach that? Ooh, I'm not going to tell you that. No, no, you, you really want to share clicker training because it's, it's just, it's, you're sharing laughter and you're sharing, uh, you know, love and this connection with your horses and all these wonderfully good things. But I was in a boarding barn and what I knew was that I needed to keep my mouth closed. So if, if people didn't ask me about clicker training, I just went about my business and did what I was doing with my horses. But as soon as somebody asked a question, the floodgate was open. And, <laughs> and I would be wonderfully you know, generous in terms of talking to them about the training. But I knew that, uh, especially since clicker training was the new kid on the block, that if I started to push against what other people were doing, that they would push back and because that's that's what I mean that's just yeah that's human nature so if I tell you yeah. that what you're doing is bad and wrong and uh, you know this shouldn't be how you train a horse and this is how, you know, all of those things then all you're going to do is push back against me and as the new kid totally. on the block uh, I you know clicker training 
couldn't, it couldn't take that. So it was wait for people to show an interest and then I'm, I'm, I'm all there for you, but you have to show the interest. You have to take that, that first step. So for me, that would be one of the strategies in terms of sharing the interest in, you know, what we can do for climate change, for example. You know, I don't walk up to other horse people and say, do you know how you should be rotating your, pa- your horses in this field? Can you, do you, can you not see how, how uh, your pastures are trashed and if you did this and this and this, it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not how to go about it. But so what are some of the strategies that you have found that either help on a personal basis to keep you from, because there are two parts of that, uh, that one help you to share your knowledge and the other that keeps you from becoming depressed that the whole world isn't on board. Yeah, two kind of different things. So yeah. I think you, I, lo- I love what the analogy you just gave, like your experience with the clicker training. You know. And I, you know what I think about that too is that we never know what seeds we're planting and fertilizing yes. necessarily yes. because people, people observe and they're quiet observers and they watch things and we may never see their transition into clicker training or uh, a more sustainable lifestyle. We might never right. actually get to witness that happen. Right. So I think in being that example and planting, you know, just going about what you're doing, you know, and maybe uh, social media is a bit of an interesting tool for that. I, I kind of, you know, I love my friends. I use them as a bit of a, it's interesting to see what they post. And when I post things, I'm always interested to see how much attention it gets or not and sort of what gets traction. It's very, as a social scientist, I can't help myself. It's yes, an experiment. Yes. I mean, I love my friends too, you know, but it's a really interesting taking of the temperature of what's going on. So I think that going about what you're doing and setting the example is really more powerful than we probably give it credit for. Yes. And piquing the interest in the people that will ask. So, right, I had the vet, and this is a horse training example, so I'm sorry, it's not a, um, sorry, environmental one, but it's the same kind of story. The vet came to rescan Fernando's tendon uh, last week and I said you know and thankfully it's going amazingly what we're doing is working and I'm so relieved that you know it's going well and I you know I have a theory about why he hurt himself because he hasn't injured himself for over 10 years and I, a bit of a theory about what's going on with his body and I said to her oh yeah I've been doing these kind of rehab exercises to get him to um, be more aware of where his body is in time and space. And I was just doing really small shoulder targeting and hip targeting just to get him to target the target, but just not moving feet, but just you could see him think about where did his body have to go in time and space to do this? And because I don't want him to injure himself again. And the vet just watched that almost open mouthed. And she said to me, wow, that has to be helping him. How, how, how do you even begin to teach that? That's wow. amazing. Now, this is an equine vet, right? Um, yes. A great equine vet, you know. And so I kind of then, I'm like, oh, God, how do I explain positive reinforcement training <laughs> in like under two minutes? Like, what's yes, where do you begin? <laughs> how do I explain this? But where do you begin? Um, so I sort of said, oh, well, it's sort of a bit like this. And this horse has a reinforcement history of moving away from pressure. So firstly, I had to overcome that. And anyway, I tried to condense it. But 
she was interested and it's now piqued her interest and she, yes. she you know I've planted a seed there and I think with our you know sustainable endeavors you know we have friends horsey friends come and visit us here and see what we're doing and they ask about what we're doing and we you know show them around the property and I always think you know, it's human nature to always think about the more we could be doing. Oh, if only we had the money, we could build the hard standing area. And I yeah. wish for surfaced yards when we have a little bit of mud. Our mud is probably nothing like your mud. Um, we don't have very much. But, you know, even people coming to see what we're doing and me sharing their biodiversity finds on my social media, you know, I think that yeah. inspires people. So I, I think we, we can't underestimate that. And and then I think in terms of how we talk to people about things, it's really important how we frame stories yes. and the message yes. and storytelling is very powerful, you know, podcasts, yes. storytelling. Um, yes. It's, it's a really, really powerful tool and hearing people's stories can be so inspiring rather than hearing a conveyance of information. So, yes. um, you know, when, when I hear a story, I'm captivated, you know, I'm sucked into the story. And if there's learning in that story, it sticks. Yes. If I'm having information talked at me lecture style, not necessarily as much, depending on the quality of the lecture. Right, right. So I think storytelling and then how we frame any messaging, the challenge that we have with making positive change environmentally, I think the big challenge we have is that we are trying to outmarket the marketers. Because these big companies that thrive on making a lot of money and it's all about business and it's about money, that's how they survive. They're really slick marketers. You know, they're really clever with their messaging and they're really clever at weaving, you know, getting into people's heads and they know all about advertising and marketing and how to, um, you know, I can sing for you still, Alex, ads that were playing when I was eight years old. Like they were that, yes. you know, cemented into my yep. brain. Yep. Unfortunately, not all of those companies are particularly ethical, sadly. Um, and I think they're probably moving that way because of public pressure. But when we are talking to people, we, we're kind of pushing against that marketing. So it's, we have to be very, very, very clever in how we frame things and talk to people about things. And which kind of leads to what you were saying about how do I stay positive? I don't always. Like if I'm honest, there are some days that I'm like, right, well, I'll just go and slip my wrists now. And that's, that's, that's the end of it. And I know that's not a great way to be, but I, I remember hearing a guy from the Bureau of Meteorology talking about climate change. He was the keynote presenter at a conference I went to probably five years ago, I reckon. And he was the, you know, like it's a keynote presenter at a conference. You want to kind of feel uplifted and ready to go. Yes. And it was a conference for school teachers. So for educators, all about the environment and what you can do. And I turned, and I'm, I'm not a school teacher, but I've worked a lot in that sort of education space. Yeah. And I turned to the woman next to me who also had a, a business sort of working with teachers. I said, oh my God, Lana, I'm ready to top myself. Like, what's, what's the point? Why bother? And it's not that we didn't need to hear what his message was, but it was framed so negatively, like we're stuffed, you know? And I, that's, that's, that leads to inaction. Yes. It, it doesn't take me yes. to action. It leads me yes. to inaction and feeling depressed, Yes, which is not great. So I think we have a real responsibility when we talk about this stuff to try and be um, positive and uplifting and set good examples. And change is possible. And COVID is, as you say, it's showing that. Like we can change and change rapidly when we're not competing with 
the marketing or the yep. politics yes. um, or when that's moving in our favour yep. um, and, and when the world, you know, is moving in our favour, we can change rapidly. Um, so I think it's, you know, we have to be really mindful when we talk to people of, yeah, not not giving them something to push against, not not giving, you know, people something to fight against. And, you know, one of the challenges I think we have in behaviour change with people versus animals is when we work with animals, we usually work one-to-one. Mm. You know, as yes. you said earlier, you know, you assess your horse or your dog or your parrot or whatever you're working with and what does that learn and need, where is it at and how, how do I, you know, help, help shape it where we need it to go. When we work with people, we're usually working on mass, you know, whether that's yes. a classroom full of kids or, yep. you know, um, eight people in a clinic or um, the whole of a community. So that's a little harder because you can't stop. You, you don't always have the time to stop and find out an individual person's perspective, where they're coming from, what their needs are, what their values and beliefs are. Because if we had time to do that one-on-one, then we could start to work with that and actually, you know, yes. again, as, as a one-on-one learner situation, we could start to support that person and help shape, you know, better environmental choices and, and action. But we're usually dealing on mass. So we're kind of trying to cater to the masses and, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. So it, it is, it is tricky to speak to people and, and it can get really frustrating. And I, you know, I've been a social scientist and practicing for, what about 18 19 years now and sometimes I still get preachy like you know I I I can't help it sometimes I I'm frustrated sometimes and I'm passionate and I think you know we're fallible as people I was having a go at one of my colleagues the other day for you know I'm like dude you work in biodiversity but your cat is allowed out what are you doing? Like you, you, we talk about this at work all the time and how this is a key behavior that we can encourage people to do to keep their cat indoors, particularly at night. So it's not roaming around and, you know, going after little birds and little marsupials. And he's like, yeah, but I live in an urban area. Anyway, I, <laughs> I was like, dude, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, I yeah, so sometimes I too struggle not to get frustrated and exasperated, yes. and um, but it's not necessarily the most effectual way <laughs> to shame your colleagues into keeping their cat inside. It's not always effective, um, but yeah, I think yeah. framing and yes, yes, the framing is is critical. But who knows? Maybe maybe in that instance. You have to, to do some follow-up and collect the data. Did you start getting yeah. your, your cat inside? Oh. Well, I did. And I, no, I have. And I was, I was, cause then he, then they went away for the weekend down to a more um, a rural location. And so anyway, he, he, did, he was showing us some pictures from this spot and of the wildlife. And I said to him, I said, oh, this is, this is really interesting. If you lived down there and you felt that you had better wildlife around you, would you keep your cat inside? And he was like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating, you know, because we're dealing, you know, if we want to deal with people about this issue with cats and yeah, um, yeah. You know, cat curfews and stuff, like that's, well, you're a really great example. We can learn a lot from you and your behaviour. You know, you you even work in the space. You're, you're, you're embedded. You understand. But yet you're still doing the thing we, we don't want people to do. So, so I was then like, oh, this is great. We have a, a little case study 
right in our right in our office with us yes. that we can you know we can work with and so I, I I can report that the cat has been staying inside far more and it only goes out now for shorter stints of time during the day so yes but I, I think for the most part getting angsty at people isn't probably the most productive way to, no, to change. No, probably not. <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know, we have to start somewhere, you know, and, and right now yeah. uh, we're out and about in the grocery stores and somebody isn't wearing a mask. It's that whole question of, oh, what do, I, what do we do about it? Do you leave? Do you uh, berate them for not wearing a mask? Do you go out to your car to the box of Oh, disposable masks, and then go back in and hand them a mask. I mean, what what do you do? You know, there are all of these all yeah. of these choices, and I think it's in all of these instances we can look at what are the choices that we are making, as you say, about all kinds of things. Of do we know? Do we know the ripple effect, good or bad, of the actions that we are taking? That yeah. when we make these yeah. choices in terms of where we shop, what we buy, who we talk to, how we express ourselves on social media. What is the ripple effect of all of that? And on balance, we would like to send out ripples that are good for the planet, that that help us to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the, um, I saw, this is last year when we could travel places and I was coming back from Melbourne and I was queued up in a, uh, a roadhouse. Usually I, I would catch the train down, um, but for some reason I was in the car. I saw a gentleman waiting for his, his in the queue in front of me and he too had a reusable cup and I had my reusable cup. And I just said, I said, sorry, excuse me. I said, I, I just want to say it's so nice to see someone else with the cup. I just, you know, props to you, buddy. And we ended up in this lovely conversation. But I, you know, again, I wanted to positively reinforce the behavior that I wanted to see. So when you have that opportunity, you know, and probably the challenge right now is that most people are wearing masks. So you can't be going around the supermarket going, you know, yeah, good on you for wearing a mask. And you too. (laughs) And yes, you've worn a mask. (laughs) Um, But I think when you, you know, it's, when people do make those positive shifts too, it's really acknowledging that they're shifting or that they're trying to shift and, and kind of positively reinforcing that in the best way that we can when we see that happening. So you're not, um, again, like with horse training, we wouldn't pick the behavior, the undesirable behavior and do, you know, we, we might, try and ignore that depending on the circumstance so that non-mask wearing person you might just have to kind of write that off and go well oh that's a bit that's not really what I want to see but then when you see a behavior you like it's it's like or the person in front of you in the supermarket who has their reusable bags and it could be as simple as going hey I like your bag where did you get your you know that bag from I've got my you know and it's a lovely way also to connect as people, you know, it starts a conversation and it makes us feel not alone. A really interesting thing, some years ago when I was working in waste, we were doing a project for a local government area. And part of what I was doing was going around in the wee hours of the morning and looking in people's recycling bins out on the curb to check if that they were doing the right thing. Um, And it was a rewards program. So when people were doing the right thing, we actually gave them a voucher uh, like an, a, a positive reinforcement for your bin is gloriously correct. Here's a $50 voucher. Wow. 
And if we saw any that were really bad, then we sort of had to take action because they were so bad that they would damage the truck, that would pick them up. But what I noticed then was at walking these streets, you know, as the sun was rising and it was really cold, is that you would inevitably find two or three amazing properties in a row. And like the, the recycling was pristine, like two or three. And then they could be in a court or in a street. It didn't really matter. It wasn't a specific setting for them, but there were two or three in a row. And then you'd find the rest were meh, a bit, you know, that had some of the wrong stuff in their recycling bin and I was a bit confused. And but these two or three in a row, and this pattern was repeated through, you know, didn't matter where in this council area we went, you would find this pattern of two or three houses in a row. And I started standing back and looking at these properties and I could I'd say you know their, their gardens might not be spectacular and this is in suburbia but they're neat all these three people have neat gardens and their recycling is beautiful these people I'm gonna assert that these people are friends and that these people feel a sense of community and connectedness that encourages them positively reinforces them to keep their yard neat and to do their recycling correctly and possibly other behaviors so when we see that person with their reused bag or that reused cup or their, you know, they've, they've made a sustainable choice in how they manage their property and their pasture and we positively reinforce that, we're building that sense of community connectedness that encourages yes. and it's sort of it's an upward spiral of encouraging um, people to continue to and build on doing amazing things. Yes. And it really, it was such a practical example of that, looking at these properties and going, yeah, these people are friends and they talk to each other and they're part of a community. And, and I think that sense of community is really important too, because when you feel like you're not the only person taking your reuse cup. So when, yes. when I thanked that guy for taking his reuse cup, it was also positively reinforcing me because I was like, ah, oh, I'm not the only person. Look at us as a community of reusable cup users go. We can make a difference. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's, that's really important too. that sense of community. And so much of it comes back to that, that identity and where we fit into the community and that sense of self. Oh, it's amazing. Like it's simple and complex. Yeah. I think wherever we can build that community as you're doing with this podcast um, is, is really positive. You know, I've become friends with Heather as a result of connecting through your work and so, and, and shared ideas. And so now that's positively reinforcing for us, you know, yes. and it builds that sense of community and we egg each other on in a positive way, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Like it's, it's lovely. It's uh, throwing a pebble in a pond and having the ripples go out and, Totally. You know, if we keep throwing enough pebbles in the pond, they'll all start to connect. And with the with the yeah. internet, you know, so it's not just that we connect with the people who are in our immediate physical environment, but that we can also connect via the internet in a positive way. And that's so powerful. And those ripples are so powerful. Because you, th you drop a, a pebble in the pond and you see the ripples going, but you don't know how far they're going to go. And you don't know what other exactly. ripples they're going to intersect with. So that's the power of it. That's the fun of it, yeah. really. That's absolutely yeah. the fun of it. You know, and, the, and like the mask wearing. If, if I were the only one in the grocery store wearing a mask, I might feel very uncomfortable. And I would still want to 
wear it because of everything that I'm hearing about how it can help to protect others. If I, if, should I be a, without knowing it, if I should be a carrier or, and it might, it may protect me as well. So I would want to wear a mask and I would, I, I really feel for the people who are in those areas where wearing masks is not, is not really acceptable and you stand out. But here, nobody's, yeah. you know, the people who stand out are the ones who aren't wearing them. And, and, and so that's a, that's a building of community. It's a building of comfort in taking these steps out of what we used to do just a couple months ago, yes. what was normal just a couple months ago to this new world that we're living in. And as long as we're living in a new world, let's do some active shaping and create a new world that we enjoy living in and want to live in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For, for a long time to come too. For a long time to come. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because it's not hopeless until the end. You know, as long as, yeah, yeah as long, as long as, you know, I'm, I'm looking out over a beautiful green setting and I can hear the, the birds sort of settling in for the evening. They're still, you know, we have to, I can hear them too. Believe. Yes. We have to believe that, that we can still make a difference. We just have to yep. believe that. And yeah. the coronavirus has shown us that we can make a difference. So we will make a difference. It's excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since the yep. birds are, are beginning to settle in for the night, since it's the other end of the day for me, uh, I think probably <laughs> we should say this has been an amazing conversation. And, and I really thank you for it. And we'll do it thank again. You. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I look forward now, to it. Yeah, for now, I'll, I will say thank you and stay well and it's all forth and make a difference. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be inspired to pick one thing. If each of us listening to this podcast becomes, as Sarah phrased it, a micro expert in a micro area, think of the ripples we'll be sending out. Ripples that can change the world. This week, we've been marking the passing of Representative John Lewis. The nation has been celebrating his life, even as we mourn his loss. Think of the changes we could set into motion if we each picked one thing and got into good trouble, good trouble, as he would phrase it, with something that matters to each of us personally. Let's make a difference. Small things add up, and we can all make a difference.